and welcome to National Leprechaun Museum Talking Stories, a podcast of folklore, mythology, stories and chat from the storytellers of the National Leprechaun Museum. Uh, I'm Eleanor and joining me today is our storyteller, Deirdre. Hello, Deirdre. It's so nice to hear from you. It's so, so nice. How are you? How is everyone? I'm doing okay, you know. Um, <laughs> we're, um, you know, working flat out at the museum, making uh, podcasts and videos and live streams. And uh, it's it's really good to, you know, as much as we'd love to be open, as much as we'd love that there, there wasn't obviously a pandemic raging the world. One of the upsides is that there is you know, a nice opportunity just to stretch ourselves a bit, mm. you know, and to have the, the time and space to do all these things we'd sort of wondered about before, but we'd never um, gotten the chance to. Yeah, you know, because we'd always talked about doing different kinds of podcasts within mm-hmm. the museum, because before everything took place, we only ever had the one podcast that we would update kind of in a different different times. But now it's been so lovely to get have a chance to have a, a kind of a con- our podcast that we can go to once a month or we can do the talking stories which have been so much fun um, and the talking stories itself it's it's great for storytellers because we get to hear how the other storytellers tell the stories and you'd be like I've always wondered how someone was going to tell the story of the sample of knowledge do they tell it differently than I do mm. so it's really fun because you can see oh this is how the other side do it yeah. yeah, everyone has their own version of each story, each famous oh, story. Completely. Like there's one story we love to tell of a Red Sox story for our when kids come in and they want to hear a classic leprechaun story. Mm-hmm. All about trickery, all about hiding the gold. And of course, there's always going to be Red Sox included. Um, simply put, boy meets a leprechaun, realizes that the leprechaun's gold's not too far away realize he doesn't have a shovel so he needs to mark out where the gold is so he can start digging later and all he's got to his name is a red handkerchief or a red sock or a red bow tie and when it comes back he finds that the red bow tie is where it was but the leprechaun played a trick and left red bow ties everywhere so the guy is absolutely clueless and no idea where to go and everyone everyone tells that story here in the museum but we all tell it so differently yes indeed and you're right in that um uh, it, 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 it's, it's not that often that you get to hear other people's tours mm. or other people's versions of different stories and to see how they're uh, developing and progressing things. Um, sometimes you have to like literally, you know, take time out to go on their tour, which is always really fun and we should do it more. Um, oh, yeah, or when um, there's like a showcase every so often if uh, people have been through uh, training. Uh, you get to hear their story, their new stories. And I just going to say this as well, be very happy because some of the stories, they need to be censored. And at, when it ha- first works out in a workshop here in the museum, you never know what us storytellers are going to say. So it's usually the uncensored version is the one that we all get to hear. Mm. And then the more sort of acceptable Mild-mannered, <laughs> you know, well, that's it's for, for a different audience, you know. There's a difference between true. you telling a story for your friends well, true, and yeah. a story uh, and telling a story for, you know, a paid audience. <laughs> <laughs> true. Oh, true. Mm. But it is good fun. And that brings us to the story we're going to hear and discuss today. Because I've never gotten to hear Nisha's daytime tour. I was on his, his amazing Darkland tour a couple of times, which is always so much fun. 
Um, but I, I never got to see what he's like during the day, you know, yeah. or many in front of kids. Many people wonder, is he just a night owl and he doesn't know what day is? They <laughs> think he's part vampire. Yeah. Very much. Yeah. But today we're going to get to hear our lovely Nisha tell the very famous story of Deirdre of the Sorrows, which is um, a story that you both um, mention on your tours quite a bit for quite similar reasons. Uh, but I think uh, we'll get to that after we hear the story. You'll figure it out, listeners. So, our story opens in the north of the country, Ulster. At the time, Ulster was ruled over by King Crochor Magnessa. And one day, Crochor's chief storyteller decided to throw a feast in honour of his wife. She'd recently become pregnant, which came as a surprise to both of them, because they were getting on in years. They thought it was far, far gone, the days when they'd have children to call their own. A miracle happened. They conceived a child, and in celebration, they threw a feast and invited all the nobles of Ulster. Queen Cahor was there, and his chief druid, Cafeth. Now when Cafeth walked through the door, the storyteller went up and asked if he'd possibly place his hand upon the belly of his wife. He hoped that the druid might be able to sense something of the future that lay in store for his child. More than happy to do so, Cafeth went up, placed his hand upon her belly, And at that moment, there was a terrible scream, a terrible wailing that told of pain, suffering, and loss coming from inside the womb. The unborn child itself was screaming out. And when he heard that scream, Cavett turned white. He turned to everyone assembled and told them that this was a terrible omen. The child inside would be a girl and she would grow up to become the most beautiful woman in the entire world. But her beauty would be a curse. This beauty would bring great sorrow and destruction to the province of Ulster. The girl would be called Deirdre of the Sorrows. And upon hearing this, the people of Ulster gathered together, and they decided the sorrow would come about, because every single man in Ulster would kill each other over who got to marry Deirdre. They then asked King Crochor to put Deirdre to death before she was even born. However, King Crochor had other ideas. Instead of putting Deirdre to death, he decreed he would marry her just as soon as she was old enough. And so that's how it was. As soon as she was born, Deirdre was sent away to live alone, far from the peeping eyes of the men of Ulster. She lived in a cottage in the middle of the woods. Her only companion was Lowercombe, her handmaid. And as Deirdre grew older, she became the incredibly beautiful woman she was always destined to be. Yes, she lived alone, but she liked being alone. She loved the forest. She loved the sounds of the birds and the trees. From the day she could listen, she was told she would become the Queen of Ulster. She was going to marry the king. But what did Deirdre care about kings? She had everything she needed here in the woods. But then one day... Well, Lowercombe had just slaughtered a calf for them to eat that night, and as she was skinning it, its blood flew out and fell on the ground. It was the dead of winter, 
there was a thick blanket of snow covering the ground. And soon, a raven flew down and began to feast on the blood. And when she saw this, Deirdre told Leverkam that she'd had the strangest dream the night before. She dreamt of a very handsome man, whose skin was as white as that snow, whose lips and cheeks were as red as that blood, and whose hair was as black as the wing of that raven. And without even thinking, Lowercombe said, Oh, that's Nisha. You see, Nisha was a nephew of King Connors, and was considered to be one of the most handsome men on the entire island. Still am. Lowercombe told Deirdre to put that name from her head. She should never think about Nisha ever again. But Deirdre was obsessed. Every single night that week, she still had those dreams of Nisha. Until one day, she saw him. Well, actually, she heard Nisha first. She heard him singing. He was said to have the most beautiful singing voice in the entire land. She rose up from her bed, threw open her doors, and there he was, Nisha. And Nisha caught sight of Deirdre. And all Nisha could say to the most beautiful woman in the world was, that is a fine cow in front of me. You have to understand, back in those days, calling a woman a cow was a compliment. Not that they believe you now. They then fell instantly in love. If by in love you mean, Deirdre rushed up to Nisha, grabbed him by the ears, and swore she would do terrible, unspeakable things to him, unless he agreed to marry her and take her away. Irish romance for you. He obviously agreed, and they fled. First, they headed south, but everywhere they went, everywhere they tried to make a home, Grahor was there, his men hungry for Nisha's blood. So they fled the country, making their way to a small island in the Outer Hebrides that lie between Ireland and Scotland. And there they lived, happy. Everything they needed was on that island. It had a beautiful freshwater stream, the forest and the seas themed with life. Until, one day, they had a strange guest. It was King Fergus, former king of Ulster. Fergus had been Nisha's foster father, and he'd come to tell them they could go home. King Grahor had forgiven them. He just wanted to look upon Deirdre's beautiful face one final time, and Nisha could live happily in Ulster with his wife forevermore. Nisha was delighted, but Deirdre wasn't so sure. She took her husband aside and explained she'd had a strange dream the night before. She dreamt that a bird had flown over from Ireland and landed on their island, carrying in its beak a single drop of sweet honey. But when the bird had landed, the drop of honey turned to red blood. But Deirdre, try as she may, could not convince Nisha. He saw nothing to worry about in her dreams and wanted to go home. He missed his family. He missed his friends. And, he told Deirdre, they had their safety guaranteed by Fergus. So off they went. But when they landed, Fergus was detained. He was invited to a feast, and because of a prohibition, he could not leave. He had to attend the feast, otherwise he would die. And so the two continued on their own, until they reached the capital of Ulster, Eowyn Maka. When they arrived, they found the fort strangely deserted. Not a soul was in sight. Now, maybe Nisha had been dreaming, but he'd hoped there would be a welcome party. And then there was. 
From up all around the walls, men rose up, each one holding in his hand a long spear. They then threw the spears at Nisha, and he was defenseless. Spear upon spear was cast into his body, and Deirdre was rushed inside the great hall to attend the long-delayed wedding ceremony of her herself and to Crahor, before Nisha's blood was even cold. Fergus, for his part, when he learned what had happened, flew into a rage. He gathered 3,000 men, rampaged throughout Ulster, bringing great sorrow and destruction, before fleeing west to Connacht. But for Deirdre, it was said she never smiled from that day on. She never ate. She didn't even take her eyes off the ground. She was silent and wasting away. But even then, she became more beautiful. That was her curse. No matter how horrible and ugly and pained she felt inside, her beauty was only more radiant. A year passed like this, until one day, Deirdre and Prochor were riding in a chariot, and they passed by the place that Deirdre and Nisha had first met. For the first time in over a year, Deirdre looked up, and up ahead, she saw a rock. A large rock just on the side of the road. And for the first time in over a year, the faintest smile spread to Deirdre's lips. She looked at Kring Krahor Magnassa dead in the eye and leapt from the chariot. She let out a terrible scream, a horrible wail that told of pain, loss and suffering, and dashed her brains out on the rocks. Deirdre was buried next to Nisha. And from each grave, a tree grew. As they grew bigger, their branches began to intertwine, mingling into one tree. Together in death, the way they could never be in life. tragic tale of Deirdre of the Sorrows. I think Deirdre is probably our, our foremost or our most famous tragic heroine in Irish legend, in Irish myth. Um, so this is a very famous story, but each time you, you, you hear it, each time you listen to it, it, it just takes your breath away. And especially with such a, a, a fantastic, considered telling like that, like we've just heard from Nisha. Yeah, I think Nisha finds the right balance of the fun elements as well as... The youthful love and passion. Yes. Yeah, the two of them against the world. Exactly, the star-crossed lovers, if you will, of yes. it all. But he also lets the sad moments be the sad moments. Of um, course. Because there's one thing when it comes to sharing stories is that, yes, you want to be able to uplift your listener or to the audience or whoever's in front of you when you tell stories but on the flip side you kind of want to make them feel something and you don't necessarily have to make them feel happy all the time and Dear to the Sorrows is this beautiful yet tragic story where you can have that moment of sadness that's those somber moments in the story um, and it really brings home a message in Irish mythology of that although there isn't going to be a person who sweeps in and saves the day 
they're still so important stories because Dear of the Sorrows being one of the rave scales or the side stories mm-hmm. um, to of course the main Ulster cycle yes. um, is, is such a is such an important way in for people who are first learning about the Ulster cycle as well. Yeah. Um, it's a story that not only I've I've experienced people get really upset by, it's also a story that's in many kids' books as well. So when you're first down um, and reading stories to get to know the tales, um, Dear of the Sorrows is always one that's included. Yes, um, indeed, which seems like a strange decision um, on a publisher's part to include this so often in in children's tales but it, it does offer you know um as you say not every story can be a can be a, a happy or a funny leprechaun story mm-hmm. and within with a tale like deirdre of the sorrows you know you there's no way to um there's there, you know there's no way to downplay that there's no there's no way to twist that without ruining the story mm. you know mm-hmm. um Deirdre's prophecy ended up coming true. However much um, King Crahor tried to to prevent it, that this um, that the, 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 the Ulster and Ulster's men would be destroyed because of this this little baby, uh, that's what still ended up happening, mostly through his actions, through his trying to control her and 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 own her and take her for himself. Um, but even though it, it, it seems like even if Deirdre had never met Nisha, had never fallen in love because she loved the um, the quiet and solitude of the forest and the animals so much. I mean, that's how she was raised for all of her life. That's all she knew. But it seemed like she would have like she had no interest in being queen, as Deirdre, as Nisha said. And she I feels like she, she feels like she would have hated, you know, the gossip and the the machinations of of a of a court as well you know so even if she was never going to be Deirdre of the sorrows it seems like she would have always been Deirdre of the of the unhappies yeah (laughs) yes I agree with you on that because one telling of the story I've heard before is that she had never met a man and the fact that she was promised to the king um all she knew was the king himself yeah and larrikin you know i mean that was that was the idea of of keeping her away from people is that that no other man could could find her could find the most beautiful girl the most beautiful woman in ireland and like take her away Mm -hmm. um but it it happened anyway through her dreams Mm -hmm. she she found the the man of her dreams that struck me as well did that girl ever have a good night's sleep because it seems like every other night she had a dream yeah. and then it came to her about the most beautiful man and then all of a sudden this these awful things that are happening, the blood that's going to be spilled. And then part of me was thinking, was it Agnes Og on a bad day visiting her dream saying, <laughs> look, this is going to be the good stuff, this is going to be the not so good stuff um, but I promise you it's going to be a good story in the end. You may not like the ending but it's going to be a good love story. (laughs) That's all he wanted. I mean, it could have been. She she could have had um, stories all throughout that time she was in the forest, or dreams all throughout that time she was in the forest um, telling the future, except um, since, like, she was basically living, like, the same life, the same day, day in and day out, up until she dreams of Nisha, and he arrives, like, nothing changes. So, um, technically, she could have had dreams that told the future, but they would have probably been very boring dreams or like the same dream over and over again. Um, but I get you, though. that's really interesting. Mm-hmm. And of course, you know, we have to wonder as storytellers, is there some significance 
to the fact that uh, the most beautiful woman in Ireland is the daughter of the chief storyteller. Ooh. Who knows? Is um, there a connection? <laughs> and who's building the narrative? Is it the daughter asking, uh, pleading with the father on some sort of like metaphysical level to say, make me pretty in the story? Or is it just, my daughter is the best fucking thing in the universe. Yeah. I'm going to turn her in, in, into her the most beautiful one. Mm-hmm. Or maybe it's um, hmm, Deirdre of the Sorrows, the most beautiful woman who ever lived in Ireland. Um, you know, us storytellers can can look nice sometimes. Maybe maybe she could have you know maybe she could have been the daughter of a storyteller. Let's make her the daughter of a storyteller. Yeah, why not? Yeah, why not? You'll find that um, um, as you learn more and more about the stories, uh, that you can start asking these sort of questions, um, because we're all quite fallible. Um, but there's we I know you were we were saying earlier when we were listening to this to this story, but um. Uh, the descriptions of, of, of Nisha are, first of all, very reminiscent of, of Snow White. Yes, you it's know? that very much, you're, you're in a secluded forest, you hear someone singing, and then all of a sudden, this strange, enchanting man comes your way, mm-hmm. and all of a sudden, the songs are, are coming, are, yeah. are being the, 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 the cheek is as white as snow, the lips as yeah. red as blood, hair black as a raven's, um... And it's we don't usually in Irish mythology get to to hear of or learn about men, um, in in that way. We 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 don't ma- male beauty isn't a, um, a, a so much a celebrated thing. It's it's yeah. usually more about male male strength yes. and power, a ferocity in war. Ferocity, yes. Um, we were having this conversation as well with another storyteller, and we realised as well there is Dermot O'Dwyvna. Um, but he has his love spot, so that's a lot of it. Is that yeah. genuine, or is that just an enchantment thrown on the person? Yeah, the spot um, that uh, on his on his head that whoever sees it falls in love with him, mm-hmm. and they're very also kind of a similar story, you know. Um, oh, so Grani is meant to marry Fionn McCool, this older man. She doesn't want to. Uh, she sees Dermot, or she sees Dermot's love spot. It's kind of a toss up between mm-hmm. the two, mm-hmm. but um, she. Um, compels Dermot to run away with her and they fall in love. So it's very similar. But another thing that that Nisha has in common, uh, not only with with Dermot, but another sort of hero of Irish mythology that I was thinking of when I was listening to this was Oisin. Nisha and Oisin find the loves of their lives in Deirdre and Niamh, Niamh Kinor in Oisin's case. And um, they get to, to run away and uh, live in, in bliss and harmony and happiness. And then all of a sudden they both start getting a hankering for home, for their mm. families. And both their, their beautiful lady wives try to, to warn them away from it. They, they have both have senses of foreboding, but the, the men aren't to be convinced. And then they go home and they can never come home again. Once they once they go back, Nisha because he's brutally killed, and um, Oshin because he doesn't know he's been away for three hundred years, and once he returns to to Irish soil, he ends up aging those three hundred years and dying of old age. That's actually I never thought of that comparison with Nisha and Oshin, because on one hand it's. When it comes to the like of Neve, she is a part of Tiernanog. Mm-hmm. Tiernanog is one with her. Yeah. Uh, and with Deirdre in Deirdre the Sorrows, it's very much she has those dreams. 
and that's the only kind of otherworldly thing about her yes she was <laughs> screaming baby inside of the womb inside of the mother which i still is an image i cannot get over mm-hmm. but it's um but there are glimpses of the stories together yeah um maybe it's maybe the message is is that when you start making your own family and you mature as an adult and you find a a, a partner and you fall in love um that you you can't be a child again once once you've grown up you can't ever return to that to that stage um or to that stage however much you you want to and you will want to um so even if even if you do get to return home uh even if um now it's it's not very likely most of the time that um you're going to be killed as soon as you step foot uh on your on on home turf um you're like, but it'll never I'm back for my gap year what have I missed <laughs> and then you're like a hundred spears are facing you and you're like okay <laughs> but it, it, it'll never be the home you you left oh you know, no you can never get that back once you've left it oh gosh no and the story of Oshima Mead is like by far the best example of that yes with spending all that time all those years away mm. like it's the best example mm-hmm. for that but uh, Deirdre of the Sorrows, as we said before, is uh, a very famous story in Irish mythology, probably one of the first ones you you read or you learn. And I think probably one of the main reasons for that was because at the turn of the century, during the, the Celtic revival or the Gaelic revival, um, it became a huge creative inspiration to people like W.B. Yeats. Uh, and to uh, the playwright Singh, John Melinton Singh, who wrote the, a play uh, called Deirdre of the Sorrows, telling the story, and it's um, it's beautiful. Um, but even that has its own um, sort of tragic love story, I find, because um, Singh, who, who, who's probably most famous for the playboy of the Western world, um, he died in 1909 before he'd finished writing Deirdre of the Sorrows. Uh, so his fiance Molly Allgood, who he'd left behind, uh, finished the play along with along with Yeats, and then the next year in 1910, it was performed in the Abbey Theatre for the first time with Molly herself playing Deirdre. So, um, so uh, it's so such sing. a powerful, powerful thing because you wonder yeah. how much of their own love story was intertwined with that loads probably you can't help it you know even like um as a storyteller you have to bring so much of yourself you do end up bringing so much of yourself to to every story that you tell that's how as we said before we all have different versions of the same story in here um but yeah that's um uh sings deirdre of the sorrows is a beautiful version is a beautiful telling of it um, there's something I'm sure everybody thinks the same but it's one of those things of you read it on the page it's beautiful but when you get to see it performed in front of you yeah, you are transported to that time mm. it may be the relationship between Singh and his fiance it may be the relationship between Deirdre and Nisha mm-hmm. but it really does draw you into their love story yes and, and to hear these words so being well. spoken aloud is a very um, is a very powerful evocative thing one of the reasons why Yeats and Singh um, and other sort of artists at the time got so attached to Deirdre of the Sorrows is because, of course, at the time, Ireland was still under British rule. Mm. And um, 
they started seeing in the story like, oh, what if Deirdre um, is this young uh, maiden of Ireland who just wants to be free and then King Cahur is um, this the bitter oppressor. old twisted, you know, oppressor, the kingdom, you know. Yeah. Um, well, it's Ireland and England, you know, and that's how they started uh, writing about it. Yeah. Well, there's, there's so much, like, you can see so many different stories within that one story and you don't know if it's something that you can see or it's something that's really there mm. because when it came to Deirdre of the Sorrows it's it's a beautiful way how it intertwines other other names from across different parts of mythology as well and mm. um, now unfortunately Nisha doesn't get as much of a mention in other tales because let's be honest not a good day at the office for Nisha in that story no um but seeing how the likes of the Celtic Revival would take that story and use it as a, just to use it for their way of symbolising what was going on. It's a yeah. very, very, very natural thing altogether. Yes, because indeed. around the time you had the likes of Kathleen O'Hulahan, you had the likes of, of course, Playboy the Western World. Mm -hmm. And it just, it, it seemed to be, it, it fitted into what they wanted to say. Yeah, which was mm. that... Um, Ireland is this 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 is a, is a Celtic nation and has its own important uh, culture and language and history, whereas England is an English culture was like modern and and ugly and sort of um, brutal, um, and then of course a couple of years later with the nineteen sixteen rising, um, stories from Irish mythology had a new huge impact there, and especially like. The likes of, of Podrick Pierce, you know, I think I mentioned this in the last podcast, actually, but how taken he was with um, like Coo Cullen and Fionn McCool and blood sacrifice. And he was thought that's how we all should be living. You know, if we're going to if we're going to take back Ireland and give Ireland um, her freedom, then uh, that's what's that's that's the task ahead of us, boys. I always like to think he was just the most intense teacher you would mm. ever have in your life. Oh because, my gosh, because he was a teacher. He was yeah, a principal yeah. of a boys' school. Yeah, yeah. And I, I always like to imagine that it wasn't, it wasn't just him as a teaching classroom of boys. It was, I am going to train these boys, and we are going to rise, and we are going to revolt against the oppressors, and like really stir the boys and show them and educate them on the ways that he saw how. Yeah, that's exactly what happened. Yeah. Uh, but speaking of of Cullen, of course, you you called this one of the the side stories of the Ulster cycle of the town, and um, I guess the strongest link to the town in this story is Fergus. Mm -hmm. Fergus feels so betrayed by what King Cahor has done, how he's betrayed Deirdre and Nisha, and also how he's how he's lied to to Fergus. Um, because he's Nisha's friend, and he would never have done that. He Fergus would never have led the them. To yeah, Nisha. he would never have led them right into this trap if he knew what was actually going to happen. Mm. Um, so after he, you know, raises Ulster with his three thousand men and uh, flees to Connacht, he ends up joining Queen Maeve. So then, um, a little while later, during the the cattle raid of Cooley, that war, the Thorn, uh, he and his his best friend, and uh, perhaps a little more. Cucullin are then on opposite sides and have to fight each other to the death of the fjord. Yeah. Ford, I should say, not the fjord. Um. <laughs> You're okay. But it is it is beautiful how you can follow the character, the, you can follow the person's journey in the story and see where it ends up. 
But on the other hand, there's one thing you just cannot avoid in Irish myths, and that is just the scale of death and the scale of just the sheer like violence of um what things were like when it came to the Calvary Gulli. Mm. Um because one thing that I wanted to bring up as well was like the imagery that's used throughout it as well. Mm. Like yes, there's the bird imagery, yes, there's the whole the honey that turned into the blood or the blood that soaked into the snow. But just like the Cadillac Cooley, when it, they're just fighting for bulls, um, of course they're doing far more than that. But there was also um, cows or heifers, if you will, were so important to the people of Ireland, not just at the time, but when you were comparing goods, the heifer was the best piece of meat you could get. It was the best thing you could have. And when I was working with Nisha, when we'd tell, be telling stories together, um, himself and myself would be constantly bickering because he would describe how Nisha described Deirdre in the story as a fine heifer mm-hmm. but he actually being a good history student that he is could reference it in the Thomas Kinsler edition of, of the on, of the Thane of, on the Thane itself and uh, there's another comparison is one which I think is the most sleaziest slimiest line I think I will ever hear in one of the tales that we have mm. and that is when Deirdre is sitting in the carriage and the king is with her Fergus is there no Fergus isn't there but it's the Yogan 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 is the guy who delivers uh, the final death blow to Nisha yes. and ends up killing him yes Yogan and, and she is sitting in between these two men and she is faced with a challenge. For a year and a day, she would have to live with one man. And for the next year and a day, she would have to live with the other. And after this time, she would figure out who she's going to marry. But as Nisha so eloquently put it in the story, her face was onto the floor for at least a year. She hardly ever smiled. And there is this line that comes from the king that says to Deirdre, aren't you a lucky you for sitting in between two great rams? And it is this? It makes my skin crawl. Yeah. Because you can imagine, you can just imagine the sheer look on his face when he said a line like that. Yeah. And when you stare out the window of that carriage, yes, it's tremendously, tremendously heartbreaking and so, such a sad ending. But the way to also look at it is that she's trying to take the power back. She wants to do something for herself. And in yeah. that tale, it's. But thankfully, in the little bit of hope there is at the end of the story, is she does get to be next to Nisha again. Yes, yes, yeah. she does. And um, that that tree grows, mm. binding them together for eternity. Yeah. But um, yes, considering that she was going to be, that the king was just going to pass her between himself and the man that killed her husband, mm. um, the man, the other man she hated most in the world. Um, that she was going to be passed between them for the rest of her life. It wasn't. It wasn't looking great yeah. for for Deirdre. Um, I have a, a question for you though, just to bring us back to the start of the story, uh, with the feast um, that that the storyteller Phelim held for the king, um, and um, his wife is there, pregnant, and then the Druid Cuthbert comes and um, puts her hand, uh, puts his hand, I should say. On, uh, on his wife's uh, belly and learns about the child, has the prophecy, Deirdre. Um, if you were having like a baby shower, 
say you're pregnant and you're having a baby shower um, or, you know, your husband is, is having a feast for the king and his Druish comes and says, hey, do you want to know what your child is going to be like? Do you want me to make a prophecy about them? Because other than, you know, um, just so you know, your baby is going to be fine health wise. So you don't need to worry about um, if they're going to have any any health difficulties when they're born or anything like that. That's all fine. But is there anything else you'd like to know about your child before it's born? What would you do? Would you say yes or would you leave it up to fate? I would wonder why we had organised a druid to come to a christening party. Uh, <laughs> this is of the other persuasion. Um, but nonetheless, I don't judge. Anybody's welcome to a party I throw. Um, I'd be like, well, thank you very much. That's very kind of you to offer. But I'm just happy not knowing. I want to experience it with the child. Yeah. Thing. Um, it would be nice to know that, like I said before, the child's going to be healthy. That's mm. all you truly want. Mm-hmm. But the idea of my child could bring great tragic endings to an awful lot of men of Ulster. I'd take probably sick pleasure in that. You know? Oh, jeez. But I'd kind of like to see it as it happens and not think, oh, is it going to happen today or is it going to happen tomorrow? Oh, is it going to happen next week? <laughs> or is it going to happen this year or next year? Do I buy the hat now or for two years' time? Oh, like, my God. Know, do what I... do you have against the men of Ulster? <laughs> Aside from, yeah. I guess, the you know the Curse of Maka, because that's pretty much deserved. Yeah, well, yeah. the Curse of Maka is another beautiful... Like, it has to be another... Oh, hopefully, it's another story that we can cover on the podcast. That would be another story on the podcast, don't you yeah. worry. But I can, yeah. I can see why... Um, because back at that time, during Deirdre's time, you wouldn't have known anything about... Yeah. Yeah. Um, Wait, uh, can I throw the question back at you? How would you react if somebody came to your baby shower and says, well, would you like to know what's prophesized for the little bun in the oven? Um, I'm going to say I, I probably wouldn't like to know because I don't want to. Because off the back of knowing. Now, the prophecy that, that, that they got about Deirdre was intense. You know, was a lot of extremes. Most beautiful, but it's going to bring most sorrow to Ulster. Like, um... And then they made some really bad decisions based on that, based on that fear, you know, um, which you can't entirely blame them for. But I, um, yeah, no, I'd rather leave it to, to fate. Yeah. Yeah. Leave if they're going to, you know, <laughs> if, the, you know, if they're going to, um, you know, if, if my baby is going to, to uh, tear apart the men of Ulster, I want plausible deniability. <laughs> <laughs> most Eleanor line I have ever heard. Sure, we're both like Leinster women. Who cares? <laughs> oh, my word. That, oh that, my that is the best Eleanor line I ever heard. Is any uh, men from Ulster listening to this podcast? <laughs> uh, we apologise. I don't apologise. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. But, oh, I love that. No, but there is the tale itself. It really is a story that a lot of us have grown up with. Yeah. Um, but when you get that bit older, you can see so much more in it. Of course. You can wonder what, because you wonder what life with Lavercham was like with her killing the calf. And then you wonder what was she actually like to live with? Yeah, having this old, old woman for company your whole life. And not speaking to anyone else, anyone else your own age or yeah. what life was truly like. And then, of course, the images of, oh, I finally can bring my missus back home to Ireland. I can finally settle down and be with the woman I want to be with when Nisha returns to Awamaka. Oh, and then all of a sudden, it seems like everybody's gone out to the shops. All of a sudden, 
no, this is when you die and your blood's not even cold yet mm-hmm. and your missus will get married again. So, yeah. yeah. It's, I think it's the, 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 the most cruel that we ever see um, mm-hmm. King, uh, King Connor or King Kahur. Mm-hmm. Um, very intensely cruel. You oh, know? And I think I, and I've read a version of the Tawn where that's where, uh, because Ku Cullen is, is, is his nephew, is the king's nephew. And, um, and he is, I don't know, some sort of conveniently absent from proceedings. And then he comes back and he finds out what's happened. Uh, and what King Kohor has actually done to Deirdre and Nisha. And he's, and that's when he starts to wonder, because he's always looked up to him, he's always been a mentor, and and he goes, is is my mentor, is this, 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 this man that I've looked up to and known and loved all my life um, really the sort of person that could do something like this? Um, and I think that's also its own coming-of-age thing, you know, when... Um, uh, when your 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 older relatives and and heroes and people you look up to get that bit more human mm-hmm. you know hopefully not on this scale but it's, <laughs> yeah. yeah think of this as the extreme version of that yeah <laughs> yeah no but I, I i like the way i i like that perspective on it because yes you build these people up to be such heroes and such gods in your own eyes yeah they can do no wrong yeah but i also like to think of it in the story as well he gets into such a rage because it's the thing that he wanted. It was the thing that was meant for him. It's the thing that he decided to have himself mm. and somebody else got it. And he yeah. was just throwing, throwing a fuss. Yeah. You know that kind of way? But uh, throwing a fuss kills thousands of men. Mm. Um, <laughs> but it's, I really do like that perspective of you can see the human side or you can see kind of like the the human condition, if you will, um, come through these like such, such symbols of people. Mm-hmm. Because that that's all they that's all they were. Mm. People like us. Yeah. Kind of like us. Yeah. Yeah. It's okay, but instead of having kind of like a a, a drama soap opera going on in our lives, we could just watch it on the telly. Yeah. And hopefully our loved ones will stay safe. <laughs> so. Yeah, we can we can we can tell these these are uh, these stories to each other and listen to these stories, but it's still um there's still a lot to, to relate to in the, the human mm. sides of it in this the first love and the jealousy um, and, 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 and sorrow and grief and anger. Um, but our, the stakes in our lives aren't, aren't so high, mm. fortunately. Fortunately, yeah. Yeah. There, as I was saying to you at the beginning of the podcast, I've always wanted to hear Nisha's version of the story. Mm-hmm. And thinking now, it's, it's very rare that you hear Nisha's origin or Nisha's approach to the story. What made him walk into the forest that day? What made yeah. him wonder? Um, and just because we heard our storyteller Nisha tell the story doesn't necessarily mean it's from Nisha's perspective. No. Um, so Maybe we should get Nisha to tell it from Nisha's perspective. Oh, uh, yes. That would be wonderful. Yeah. Um, I think we'll, we'll leave it there for today, Deirdre. Thank you so much for, for joining me to talk about Deirdre of the Sorrows. Thank you so much for letting me join you. If you were going to be a Deirdre of the mm, what would you call yourself? What would you like to be known as? Ooh. Yeah. That's a, ooh. Deirdre of the Catastrophes. Catastrophics. Catastrophes? Catastrophes. That sounds better. Okay. Yeah, Deirdre of the Catastrophes. Yeah. Deirdre of the Catastrophes? Yes. Thank you so much. Uh, Nisha of the... 
stories. <laughs> <laughs> Nisha of the Fine Heifers, thank you so much for telling that story so beautifully. And um, guys, thank you so much for listening. If you enjoyed this, please um, follow our podcast wherever you're listening to it. Uh, share and review it that would be so brilliant and, and helpful thank you so much and we'll be back again in two weeks with the next episode of National Leprechaun Museum Talking Stories but until then I'm Eleanor and thank you for listening goodbye bye That was fun. Yeah. I love that.